Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Uh, we just do a quick sound check. So, uh, if you want to say the best thing, the, the best Buddhist quote you know. Uh, the, um, the first thing that popped into my mind was, and I don't even know if this is a real Buddhist quote, I think it might be a Zen saying, okay. but it's, um, the only wisdom you'll find at the top of the mountain is that which you take up there with you. Nice. Mm, it's good, isn't it? That's annoyingly deep. Yeah. <laughs> that reminds me of who was it? A mate of mine went on holiday recently because he was really upset. He was like, "I'm going to find, you're going to refine myself." And I was yeah. like, "No, you're, no, you're not. You're, you're, get, you're still going." Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. He got really yeah. annoyed by that. Yeah, there's back. that book, isn't it, called uh, "Wherever You Go, There You Are." Oh, I've and not heard that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, I haven't read it. It's another book you I haven't read. <laughs> but it's a great title, isn't it? I've got, yeah, I've got a book called uh, Jeff, the Buddha and Me. Mm. And started, have you read that? I have read that, yeah, years ago. I'm about halfway first. through it, yeah. Mm. It's good. Yeah. And it's not Patreon. I was thinking it would be. Yeah, yeah. But it's nice as a as a, a starting point for when I was getting into it. Yeah, yeah, I read it when I first when I first got into Buddhism. Hello, and welcome to the Ask Your Industry podcast, episode 51. My name's Simon Kane, and for those of you new to the show, this is the podcast where I interview the most influential people from the worlds of stand-up, comedy, radio, TV, and today, the touring circuit. Sam Brady is a comedian who, with no PR, TV profile, radio profile, management, or tour manager, managed to choreograph and put together his own national tour for his own show. This is part of our DIY series of comedians who have done something that you would ordinarily think you would need the industry quote-unquote, to do and have instead gone on and done it themselves. I found him really inspirational, I found him really interesting and it was just generally one of those chats where it makes you wonder what you can and can't do without the industry, like whether you need to wait and ask for someone's permission to do something or whether you can actually do it yourself. I'm always of the opinion that you can do it yourself but it is also very helpful if you have someone backing you up but we get into that and we talk about why he did it, what he got out of it, what he's had to sacrifice to get it to the stage that it was at, 
and little hints and tips that have helped him along the way and that can obviously help you if you are thinking about doing the same thing. He's about to do the same thing and go on tour again with his new show, so if you would like to see details of that, you can look in the show notes. As always, if you could uh, rate us in iTunes, that would be amazing. It only takes about 30 seconds, and it just really helps out the show. If you can't do that, just subscribe, and you'll know when all the next episodes come into your inbox. I think this would be good for anyone who wants to put together their own tour, who has a show but isn't able to find themselves a touring manager or an agent to put that together for them, and wants to know how hard or tricky it is, and which parts of that process are hard and can be made slightly easier by sharing information between us all so i won't say much more because i pretty much ask every question in the pod that i would normally put into the intro so without any more delays this is sam brady um so the reason i started doing my own tours um was well i I think it was because you have to sort of go back to the circuit. So, like, I started um, in comedy. I was 39 when I started, so I started late. And, um, yeah, so I was 39 when I, when I started. I started quite late. And um, I realised after a short while that there were all these gatekeepers on the circuit, uh, promoters, and... Um, Basically, the game is you've got to keep going, largely for nothing or for very little money, putting in a lot of time, um, until these promoters decide that you're allowed to go to the next level. And that that's kind of fine um, if you're 23. <laughs> when you're 39, you start thinking, have I actually got time to impress this many people, you know? And uh, I did it for a few years and, you know, some people I got paid gigs straight away and I I was doing pretty well with. Some other promoters I did uh, open spot after open spot did well at them, never got any further. You know, some uh, promoters I couldn't get a gig with at all. You know how it is. Um, So I I did that. I did start doing some weekend clubs um, and I realised I hated them. Uh, because basically if I wanted to babysit drunk teenagers, you know, I'd get a job in an inner city school. You know, I don't need it to be doing it at my weekends. And and I just thought, well, there's a skill to doing these weekend clubs. Um, but in the short time I've got in my career, do I want to spend time developing those skills or do I want to spend time doing the stuff that I want to do? So sort of realising, right, OK, I'm going to have to impress all these promoters so that I can do these weekend gigs that I don't want to do in order to eventually headline the nice gigs that I do want to do. And I'm 39. Well, in fact, I was older than that by then, 40-odd. And I'd done um, a show at Edinburgh. I went down. I'm never one for listening to advice. If people say to me, oh, you know, uh, you can't do that. It's not just not done that way. I will do it, you know. And usually fall flat on my face, but, you know, occasionally not... So people said, oh, you can't do uh, Edinburgh yet. You know, first you need to go down and do, like, you know, a few showcases, and then you can go down and do, like, you know, a a two-hander or a three-hander, you know, and then, you know, in a few years when you're ready, you can do an hour. So, like, I'd been doing stand-up for two years. I went to Edinburgh with an hour, and uh, and it went all right, actually. (laughs) and it had its ropey moments, and it wasn't the most brilliant show, but I learned a hell of a lot from doing it, and um, I think that was the start of me not listening to advice, uh, 
because I know loads of people who wait years and years and years, then go and do an hour expecting to get a nomination, and they get totally ignored, and then they think, why didn't I do this seven or eight years ago? You know. So, um, having sort of discovered the joys of doing an hour-long show and realising that I could tell more stories and explore things in much more depth, I got really addicted to that. So I got into the idea of putting on some of these shows. So I put on one or two. Um, and sold tickets and they did okay and I just thought right I'm going to do a tour and then as soon as I started looking at it I realised that the way to do that is you need to get uh, an agent or you need to get a tour management um, company on board oh when we're back in the gatekeeper thing how do you do that oh well when you're doing headlining this gig this gig and this gig it's like oh right okay (laughs) back to square one so so I just decided to, to do it myself just decided to have a go and like a lot of things in life, a lot of successes come out of people not appreciating how hard something is going to be yeah, <laughs> before yeah. they start it. And I had no idea what I was getting myself into and I sort of blundered into it and it, it kind of worked out all right, you know. Um, so that that was how, how I got into it. It's all down to basically being old and impatient and not having time to piss about and needing to get on with things, you know. Mm. And what... So, so I think the obvious question to ask now is, like, most comedians when they're trying to put together a tour or even go to Edinburgh or do any of the big things that you think you want to do with an hour, for mm. example, uh, it's knowing that the hour is good, which obviously a, an award would validate yeah. um, in certain ways, and a competition thing would validate, or even mm. having a, a industry person saying, "I'd love to make money off you because I think it's good enough." Yeah. What did you do to get past the... I mean, if you had it, but like the insecurity of... I've only been doing this two years. Is this show even good? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, <laughs> what did I do to get past the insecurity? <laughs> um, I, I think that... I think that I believed in the story. And this is probably a key thing, really. So I knew I wasn't the funniest going on the circuit, I knew I wasn't the most experienced, I knew that I made mistakes all the time, but I think I had faith in the fact that I was telling an interesting story and it was a true story so um, the, the first show was called Meditation Room My Life and it was about it's a true story of how I was a management consultant and I gave up everything my home, career, possessions, everything and went off to train as a Buddhist monk um, and it was all triggered by me deciding to go to one meditation class in order to relax and then this my whole life unraveled so it was a pretty I think it's a pretty interesting story to hear from someone about basically how they gave up everything and had a big nervous breakdown and went to be a monk so I suppose I believed in that story so I knew that even if some of the comedy didn't work or I messed things up you know at least you've got, you've got a a good story out of it so that that, that was a key thing um, I did it on the free fringe anyway so I figured people don't have to pay um, I saw some things on the free fringe uh, and I think this is important when you first start out go and see stuff on the free fringe that you know is pretty almost certainly going to be terrible and once you've seen that you think well at least I'm not that bad <laughs> and, and that really helped go and see some like some stuff by some students you know, a sketch show or something. Um, and, uh, you know, I, so I watch people less experienced than me. And um, so you think, well, you know, all right, yeah, there is a lot of people out here who are learning and they're not good yet and 
the audience accept that, you know. So, so yes, rely on the goodwill of the audience, basically. Um, so that 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 was all part of it. And you know, the other thing that happened, you said about winning awards. I did actually win an award before I went to Edinburgh. Okay. Um, I did a preview of the show at um, the Manchester Comedy Festival or whatever it was called that year, a different name every year, and, and I won an award um, for the show, and I got a five-star review, and um, I think a lot of it was to do with, like, the place was packed out, and a lot of the people in the audience knew me from one place or another, there were a lot of Buddhists there, mm. and... Uh, and so the show flew. The, the people, the reviewers who were in the room, you know, are so swayed by the audience. Mm. They thought it was amazing. I was flying on confidence, so I did put in a good performance. It went great, and I won an award. So I think when I went to Edinburgh, I was quite deluded <laughs> that I was taking a really good show as well. So that gave me a lot of confidence. About halfway through the second week, I realised it wasn't quite as good as I thought, and I had a nervous breakdown. But I've since learned that that's normal because I've done that every time I've been to Edinburgh. So, um, yeah. So I think you've just got to. I think that the only way to do Edinburgh is to do it and do that full length show. And you do get a lot of comedians who are really established, but and they wait and they go along to Edinburgh and they do that first hour and they still struggle so my philosophy is get down there and and do it and the only downside is um, it disqualifies you from being nominated for best newcomer you know but uh, the news is that most people who go even after 10 years don't get nominated for best newcomer yeah. so you know don't hold out for that one exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. no I know what you mean I uh I did the Brighton Fringe last year, and to try and get people down in the first early shows, I, I emailed all like cat sanctuaries and Buddhist monasteries <laughs> yeah. to get those. I yeah, they're the people yeah, who love it. Absolutely. Yeah. And after the like the second show, it turns out it was full of Buddhists. Right? Yeah, we'd all come because they thought, oh, it's a show about us. Yeah, right. It's not as much as they would hoped, but they like had feedback and like yeah. criticism, and like some of them were like, uh, oh, um, this joke isn't as accurate. You've got this misquoted and all this kind of stuff, and I was like. Yeah, I've yeah. got that misquote on purpose because I'm yeah. meant to be an idiot. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really annoying. I know. Yeah, it, um, <laughs> they were lovely. But yeah, no, I do know. I do know what you mean. Um, <laughs> I, um, it, yeah, I, I love doing the Brighton Fringe and I love doing um, Brighton. Um, but I did like after Edinburgh with Meditation Room, my life. Um, I went down to do the Brighton Fringe and because I had some really good reviews and stuff. I mean, I had some lousy reviews as well, but the main thing is get reviews, and obviously nobody saw the lousy ones. But I waved my good reviews from three weeks and people like that around. And uh, I got this weekend at this really nice little theatre at the Brighton Fringe. I got Friday and Saturday night. Um, and it, it, they seated 100, and it sold out both nights straight away. Um, so I thought, oh, yeah, I'm ace. I'm yeah, there, yeah, turned yeah. up, turned out I wasn't ace. And uh, <laughs> the show by then was like an hour and a half long with an interval because they wanted an interval to sell beer. Mm. Um, so it's two hours of 45 minutes. So I'd put in some extra bits. And to be honest, some of the hour was a bit thin. Um, but I went in, I thought, no, I can do this. And there were loads and loads of Buddhists there and quite a lot of other, other people who were quite sort of like right on sort of Brighton people. Mm. And I went out there and I died on my ass for 45 minutes 
Then I sat in the dressing room with my head in my hands for 15 minutes that I came out and died for another 45. <laughs> and, wow. and I knew I had to come back and do it again the next yeah. night. Oh, it was you. horrendous. Um, but it was really interesting that I had this, a similar experience where um, that people thought people I, I talked to people afterwards and some people came and spoke to me and were you know and they just took what I said too seriously and uh, and or they thought that because I was a stand-up comedian and I did it in quite a stand-uppy way that I was you know taking the piss out of them and and, and not all the jokes directed at myself and I had a really interesting experience with that as well of being people being really earnest mm. and the next day I was being interviewed by a, a Buddhist magazine so that was quite an interesting interview mm. so when I went and did the show the next night um, I took out a couple of bits that were yeah that that had been particularly taken amiss mm. <laughs> and um, and I did the first half sitting down I just sat down um, it took all the aggression out of it went absolutely fine mm. same venue same show you know and I suppose that's the thing that you learn from doing doing this sort of thing um, but how could I have learned that without without doing it yeah. I, it's a different thing doing a show in a theatre from doing stand up in a club mm. and you, there are different rules and, and you know the only way to learn is to do it really and sometimes take a really bad hit mm. for it you know yeah, totally. so yeah, I know I'm waffling on quite a lot here. I'm, I'm quite that's absolutely yeah. fine. That's what my edits for. Yeah, <laughs> good, good. <laughs> it will get edited then. That's gonna, good. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you'll leave this bit in, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So people know it's been yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. They think oh, he's putting the work in. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. We might as well sponsor it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That would be nice. Um, <laughs> um, the uh, so okay. So at what stage of because obviously the, okay so. Let me just work this out. You, you're thir- 41 at this point? Um, yeah, 41, 42. And you've been doing comedy three years. Yeah. You're honing the show around yeah. the place. Yeah. So it's not complete yet. Yeah. At what point did you think, I'm going to start booking this tour? Because obviously you yeah. have to be booking it like six well, months ahead of no, time. No, I did. I didn't do... I didn't. So I didn't tour that meditation room in my life. I only did it. I did it at Ed- Manchester, Edinburgh and Brighton. Okay. Then I decided to write a new show, and I and I didn't write one, but I'd booked in at Edinburgh. Right. So I went and did a work-in-progress show at Edinburgh. Again, you shouldn't do. So I had, I did have about three hours of material, but a lot of it was untested, and some of it had only, you know, a lot of stories and things. And I just went out every day and did an hour's worth of it, and a lot of it, died and some of the shows turned into workshops where people were suggesting better punchlines and which I gratefully took and um, that was that was a nerve wracking three weeks uh, that it was took a lot out of me but god what a brilliant can you imagine doing 22 hours of new material gigs like you come out of it a better performer oh, yeah. and with better material so I did that year that I did that uh, um that work in progress show a lot of the material for the kindness kindness show which I toured came out of that so it was already tried and tested in that sort of festival environment and then the following year so this was my third Edinburgh and I took the kindness show to Edinburgh um, it had a run there um, and then that was when I decided alright I'm going to tour it um, and um, so I've done it I, I so I toured the show then the following year and um, we did 20 dates um, around the country 
and they, they, I think they all sold out. I mean, as near as damn it. And um, then I went took the show back to Edinburgh the following year because I'd been so busy touring and things I hadn't written a new one. Yeah. But I thought, well, why not take it back? So I did, and it was better by then as well. Mm. Um, and then that was going to be it. But then I got picked up by um, a management company who wanted me to come back and do it at the assembly rooms the following year so I wasn't going to turn that down so I took it back again then I did a further 10 dates um, then so yeah so that that's what I've done so I've done like did like 30 dates in two stints plus two Edinburgh uh, three Edinburgh's mm. with the show and when it came to picking where you were going to tour like the show mm. how did you pick the cities yeah that's a really good question so um Manchester was a no-brainer because it's my hometown. Um, Brighton. Glad you mentioned that because not everyone would know. That. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, hometown Manchester, um, Brighton, which I mean I did used to live down there, right? And it's full of Buddhists and uh, lefty spiritual people um, who like like the, the show. And and all the people who hated me had found out they hated me by then, so they didn't come back. So that was good. So. Uh, so, so nice I did, yeah, it is, it is, that's a big part of it, that's a big part of it, isn't it? It's, you know, um, so, um, I mean, it is, it's all about, actually, uh, the, this is a key thing for me, why I didn't want to do the weekend clubs, because uh, I think there are two ways to go with, with any anything, really. You can either um, be, you can be market-led or product-led to use marketing speak you know so you can either say right what do people want right I'll do that or you can say what do I want to do right I'll do that and hopefully I'll find people who like it and and that was the thing that I realised if you're doing the circuit particularly the weekend clubs to some extent you have to think about what they like and give them that and uh, I don't do that. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Well, neither did I, and uh, it made life quite hard with some of that. You know, I, yeah. and some people might disagree with this, but I, you know, and there are some exceptions. But I think, to a large extent, it is like that. So, um, so I think the thing is with doing your own show is you can do what you like, and it takes a while, but eventually you find your audience, and people who don't like you find out they don't like you, and they stop coming, and that's great, you know. So, um, yeah, so, so I did Manchester, Brighton, I did Leicester because I did the festival as part of the tour, so that, that was nice. And then the others, um, what I did was I just decided, like, right, I want to cover most of the country, and I just looked, well, where are the cities where they have a lot of one-man shows on? where are the venues that seem to do those sorts of shows so I did quite a lot of research into it um, and I identified about 25 venues then I spoke to them and eliminated a few um, uh, based on the fact that uh, they were really disorganised and I thought well, if they're more disorganised than me it's probably not a good, good measure so yeah I ended up with 20 venues that I identified so they were spread out around the country um, and I managed to book it so that I did it over a um, six week period where I was able to like go down to one part of the country you know do a few and, and they followed it you know a logical thing so I wasn't in Hull one day and Brighton the next um, and managed to coordinate it like that yeah that's pretty much what I've done mine as well yeah I've tried to so because I, I have a few friends who've done tours recently yeah and their management's like put them like you said in Hull and then Brighton then yeah. Edinburgh and that's then, it yeah and that's fine but if I'm doing it on my own steam 
I'm sort of like I'll do Brighton and I'll do yeah. Hastings and then I'll yeah. do Kent and then I'll work my way around. That's it. Yeah. yeah. And you want to be fresh, don't you? As well, you know, you don't want to be been travelling all the time and you know. Have you? Have you because it sounds like, and don't take this the wrong way, it sounds a bit like it was a scattergun approach in a way. It wasn't as organised as maybe you are now in terms of city choices. No, it was. It was really organised. That was when oh, okay. I got organised. Really, that I. Yeah, I mean, I knew I wanted to, like, I knew if I did, um, if I did two venues too close together, it wouldn't work because people, you know, I I, I know that I, I, I could, I only felt like I could get a small, you know, if there's a catchment, however, however many tens of thousands in one city, I knew I was going to get a small percentage of that coming to the show. So I wanted the shows to be spread out so that, they didn't weren't competing with themselves. Yeah. You see what I mean? So um, I, I I chose different parts of the country, and then I chose the what I thought was the best place within that part of the country. So it was it was really sort of planned down to like I know right I'm doing the southeast that week, the southwest that week, you know. So it was sort of very top down planned. And in terms of the venue, you said you're doing it in theatres rather than maybe pubs or clubs. Yeah. And how hard are they to negotiate with? Well, the first tour that I did, I did a variety of venues, and I did that for a reason, because I wanted to learn. And, and my objective with that first tour was to learn about touring. Um, so I, I didn't expect it to sell as well as it did, and I expected to lose a load of money. But I figured, well, you lose a load of money when you go to Edinburgh, so what the hell. So... Um, so I did a mixture of I did some theatres like studio spaces in, in really nice theatres I did uh, a couple of music venues you know where there are, there's a lot of sort of bands and stuff but but they don't really do comedy or anything um, I did a couple of comedy clubs I think um, you know a re- real sort of mixture um, I did uh, one in like um, like a sort of town hall-y sort of National Trust building kind of I don't even know what it was but it was like this Tudor building you know in in, um, in Shrewsbury like this listed building and I just hired it and did one in there so I really tried out different venues um, and what I learned from it was yeah next time just do theatres yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did, did they have a problem working with because I think a thing that would be in the back of most people's minds, I know it was with mine when I started booking my tour, is I imagine venues, a lot of venues I know are tied up anyway with places like Sea Tickets and stuff, so they yeah, won't deal yeah. with people without agents, but yeah. how did you find, especially, you know, were you very up front, like, I've never done this before, what are your splits, what do you do, you know, yeah. how, how did you even negotiate deals? Well, what I did was I didn't negotiate deals, I hired. Okay, right. Yeah. Um, I started getting into the whole negotiating deals stuff and um, the I mean obviously a lot of the venues don't do those things anyway they only do hire if you're doing the upstairs room of a pub or something um, or a, a music venue you know they, they don't tend to do that they just want to hire um, a lot of the theatres they were like yeah well um, send us your CV and everything you've done and some reviews and some recommendations and we'll we'll book something in for about 12 months time and uh, you know and maybe well we'll let you know in three months if you're in the programme you know and I realised alright yeah I haven't got time for that and it's quite likely they'll turn me down 
Um, so I just looked at the hiring situation. So what I did was, so that, that's kind of the choices, basically. You can either pay a fee and you hire the venue, and for that you'll get like some front-of-house staff, um, some techie help, stuff like that, various things thrown in. You pay the fee, but you get the ticket money, but you're taking all the risk. Um, the the alternative is a box office split um, where you might so you won't pay anything for the hire um, but the venue will keep say 30% of the the ticket price Um, so I just went for the hire option and I worked out that in most cases you know if I sold half the tickets that would that would cover my costs I'd be alright you know so really I'd have to sell like 25% because I've booked my own thing I'm sort of I'm part asking you questions on that but also yeah. other people I know who know I've booked my own thing have sent yeah. me messages going what did you do with that Yeah, and I don't have answers for them yeah. because so, so my tour wise I contacted a bunch of venues that are, are kind of I started by contacting a load of promoters who've already seen me yeah. and said, I know you run a club, right. can I come and put my show on there? And then they said yes, or some of them said no, but some of them said yes. And then I contacted a load of venues that were near the ones that said no and said, can I? I mean, I said to them, yeah, oh, yeah. I'm going to do it this way then, is that okay? Because I didn't want to... Yeah. And I made sure it was on a day they don't have a yeah. gig because yeah. they're respectful and stuff. Um, so then I put them on there and the venues have helped me with that. And then outside of that, um, I've contacted places that I know other people have gone and have done a show mm. and on the back of that sort of networked with the person that went there before me yeah. and done it that way so it's interesting to me the theatre you know you hiring a whole theatre mm. as it were mm. it's very, I mean I can imagine your anxiety level I mean that would that would well, I mean, you, drive it, me <laughs> it's, it's, it's not too bad it depends really and they vary a lot so um, if you hire like so can't remember exact figures and things, but I I hired like the Theatre Royal in Newcastle, nice theatre. I hired their studio. Um, I think it seats about 120, something like that. Um, you get put in their brochure. It's sold out in two days um, because they send their brochure out to however many people you know, and they're they're really good. Some venues are better than others. They were brilliant. They sold it out really quickly. Um, but the amount they were charging, actually, you know, if I'd sold 20, 25% of the seats, I would have been okay, you know. So it wasn't too bad, but then you get others and, you know, they pile the costs on. I got my fingers really badly burnt um, this year, or last, last year, um, with a theatre where I decided to take a chance and go for like a 300 seater room um, based on the, the fact that the other tour had sold so well I thought right well let's see if I go for a big theatre um, and one of their bigger you know still one of their smaller rooms but still big for me but I know that they've got a big marketing budget and all the rest of it you know actually will they sell those because people are buying the venue you know turned out they didn't (laughs) and they were the most expensive that I've hired and they were probably the worst marketing team I've ever met so that's the tricky thing that you're relying on them to market the show and um, so you need to sort of check them out and generally like this theatre was part of a group of theatres run by the same one team on the council yeah they're overworked they haven't got any sort of profit motive they're not you know and uh, so I, I learned from that so it, it can be scary but I think the thing is you just 
if you just look around, you can find some that are really well priced, mm. and you know that they're a professional team, and you know you're going to do okay, providing you do the other things, mm. which we can talk about in a minute that are important. Yeah, I was, I was going to say so. Let, let's pick a venue that you can remember our yeah. fee for. It doesn't matter where it is. Yeah, I don't know if I can remember. Oh, okay, any, but anyway, yeah, but go on. I'll, yeah, I'll go. If, you, if you went with a ballpark figure of yeah, a couple of hundred pound. Um. Yeah, so some might be. I think there'd be more than that, but yeah, you might get some two fifty something like that. Okay, maybe. And the next question would be, how did you price your ticket? Did you mm. find out the higher fee, work out the number of, t- you know, seats, work out how many you need to sell, and then go from there? Or did they say we well, need to sell it for this? Yeah. Well, sometimes the venues will have a set price, um, but even if they don't, I always ask, well, what? do you charge and get, I get on their website and see who else is on and what they're charging it's really important you don't underprice yourself because people use you know and you'll know this has been a marketing person but given a lot of unknowns people will use the price of something as a guide to how good it's likely to be so um, if you charge a fiver and everyone else is charging 12 quid people aren't going to come because they think oh it's going to be five down the drain so I charge whatever everyone else is charging um, and that's worked out absolutely fine even when I'm the other people well in fact if you think about it if I'm playing um, so this has happened like I played a venue in Oxford and I think just before I was on in the that same week, Joe Lysett was on. Um, obviously, done done a lot of TV and stuff. Alfie Moore was on, who's got his own radio show, um, and I charge the same as them. Now the thing is, people are going to look in that program and they might recognise Joe and they might recognise Alfie, and then they don't recognise me, but I'm the same price at the same venue. They're going to assume, all oh, right, okay, he's going to be decent. That's how actually how it works. Whereas what happens is the little insecure voice says, "Oh God, I can't charge the same as them. I haven't got a Radio Four show." But actually, no, that's that's not the way to do it. You've got to charge the going rate for that venue because some people will like me who don't like Alfie, you know. And vice versa, you know, it's not it's not like that. So, to some people, it is worth that money. So, um, so yeah. So I priced it based on what the venue charge, and then I would weigh it up and look at at the capacity, um, how switched on they are, how many people their brochure goes out to, um, and you know, working out the sums of well, how likely am I to get my money back? Um, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I mean, I've had, had a insecure voice a lot recently, mm. where I've gone, you know, d- don't don't go too high because no one, yeah. will, but no one will buy them. Yeah, and I'd rather I'd rather make less of a loss than no, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's it's good to hear that I'm the only one that's had that. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I, it's, I think it's a really common thing for people to underprice themselves, and it's a it's a big mistake. And, I mean, I, I, and I get really insecure as well. I get totally panicky, usually two weeks before the sh- each show, because I found that hardly anyone buys tickets until like the final week. Mm. Um, so, like, I have total heart attacks every single time, thinking nobody's coming to this show. Nobody's coming to this show. Shall I pull the show? You know. Um, so I go through all the same panics, but generally it's worked out okay. 
Yeah, I always I, I always compare it to the kind of Chinese takeaway thing where yeah. if, like the price is too low. Yeah. I question what's in it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I don't know if that's fair to do or anything, but like yeah. it's the same. I think with comedy, that's the same thing. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. yeah. So so yeah. So I I think if you're going to hire, find out how much the hire fee is, what the capacity is, what they normally charge for a show like yours, and then do your sums and see, you know, how many people do you think you're going to have to get in to to make it okay. Mm. And in terms of promoting a show, then, mm. especially in a city that maybe you've never been to before, yeah. have no profile in, yeah. they don't know who you are, yeah. and you don't know how the, the ecosystem You know, when you put it like this, it sounds kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Believe me, I, my, parents, uh, my parents got quite supportive of me recently, and then, and then I turned around to them and went, I'm going to go on a tour, and they were like, oh, who's doing that? And I was like... I'm doing this, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and their support quickly went. Yeah, yeah. Like they were very happy because I started getting loads of like like paid weekend clubs and stuff. Yeah, but yeah. as soon as I sort of went, but I want to take that show on a tour because I didn't get Edinburgh this year, so that would yeah. be good. Um, yeah, it's uh, it, you sound mental. Yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah. Um, this, so yeah, but it is the case of a lot of the cities I'm going to. Yeah. I have no profile in. I might have done yeah. one, you know, progression spot or a paid yeah. gig at a club, but no one knows who I am. I, yeah. I didn't keep in contact with the people that came up to me afterwards and went, "You were great. Yeah. Love to see more yeah. of you know that kind of thing." Which I'm now doing more. Of. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I bought business yeah. cards. I give them out and yeah. gigs, and they've got my website on and Twitter and whatever. And um, you know, I've got yeah, a mailing yeah. list that I sign people up to. And I presume you do something Yeah, similar. well, well, at Edinburgh we have... Um, so what I've do, always done is had a mailing list that people can sign up to after the show. In fact, one year I did a thing where you could win a Kindle. Um, wow, because yeah. Kindle sort of sounds like kindness. It was the nearest thing <laughs> I could do. But you could win a Kindle if you join the mailing list. Okay. And um, so that, that was interesting because I, I did wonder if people afterwards would uh, not... You know, w- would drop out because they were just in it for the Kindle, but you know they didn't actually. And I think it just encouraged people to think, "Oh, I'll sign up." And funnily enough, uh, the following year I was in Edinburgh, and someone shouted my name, and uh, this woman came running over and she said, "I'm the woman who won the Kindle, <laughs> so at least I've got one fan." You know. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But uh, so Did it, she buy all the book for it though. That's the question. Uh, yeah, that's a good question. Well, the book isn't out yet, but hopefully oh, she will. Hopefully. hopefully she will. Mm. But. Um, yeah, so I have collected that those mailing, uh, you know, but I've still not done it as well as I should have done, but you know enough that. Um, so, well, so promoting it, um, there's a few things that I did um, for just that scenario where I haven't been somewhere before. But before I get onto that, I think like the key thing about it is, so I did. Um, I did. A, I spoke at the Chortle Comedy Conference a couple of years ago about about the tour thing, and some people were quite indignant. And uh, one guy said to me, "Well, how did you do it? I can't believe it. You know, like, I've never heard of you." And I was like, "Well, maybe I don't want you to come." You know, and it's like because he obviously never got my marketing because he's not, you know, my my demographic. But um, it's also the, the the mistake there, and this is what I was trying to get across that day, and nobody was hearing it. Was no, virtually nobody came to see me. People came to see the show. Mm. Uh, last week I went to a play in Manchester. I couldn't tell you the name of one person who was in it, you know. But I went because I heard the title. I thought that sounds interesting. I saw the poster. I thought that looks interesting. I read the blurb. I thought that sounds like an interesting story. 
I'll go and hear that story and I went to see it and I and it was great I still couldn't tell you who did it or you know and it, I applied the same principle to my thing nobody's coming to see me they're coming to see the show and the show has a good title it's just called Kindness because I read somewhere that one word titles are much more successful and I don't know if it's true but anyway so I just called it Kindness um, it's a, a word that um, is also a value so a lot of people chime with it that resonates with them yeah you know I believe in kindness um, it had a really nice design um, done by Brennan Rees who now has just won English Comedian of the Year and gone to Australia incidentally the um, flyer for Meditation Room in My Life was designed by Joe Lycett who subsequently got a TV career so if anybody wants to volunteer <laughs> to design my flyer for free I can guarantee you will have, just for once I would like to be funnier than the person who designed my flyer you know? I, I wouldn't put that guarantee on, <laughs> yeah. on, on a paper but, no, yeah. <laughs> but you know you know, mm. so yeah, so Brenda did a great job with the, the logo. So I, I didn't even have my face on the poster. I had the logo of the show, which is like a sun and a cloud, sun like looking after a sad mm. cloud. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Um, and the word kindness above it. And then in the blurb, it tells quickly the story of how I gave up everything and went to be a monk and then how I had to leave that and become a single parent and how it's much easier to be kind when you're living with monks than it is when you're living with a teenage girl, you know? And, and that, that's it. And that is what people bought because they heard the title, they thought, yeah, kindness, yeah, I believe in kindness. They saw the logo, it was eye-catching, they read the blurb and thought, that sounds like an interesting story. And I bet loads of people who saw it and liked it couldn't tell you who did it. But yeah. hopefully they're on my mailing list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and I think that's a really key thing to get across, because if you go out like, you know, 
and say, oh, well, yeah, I'm a new comedian. No one's ever heard of me. That is not a USP. Do you know what I mean? There's a yeah. lot of people selling on that, you know, and even actually if you've been on the radio, on Radio 4, well, actually there's loads of people been on Radio 4, mm. you know, so it's so hard to sell yourself as a personality if nobody knows who you are, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you name, don't do name that. Everything only works if you know the name. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so the key thing about, about the whole show is having a great story that, that you can tell in a blurb very quickly that'll hook people, having a good title and a good theme and, and good graphics and, and that's what that's what'll bring people in. So um on that basis like the the marketing that I did, right, so the the two so there are a number of things. I think the most important thing is the brochure of the venue um or their email mailing list. Um and, and I think I got really lucky with that first tour because I didn't really know what I was doing but just from working with people who sounded over the phone like people I wanted to work with who knew what they were doing and from what they said about how they market because that's a key thing ask them about how they're going to market the show some of them say oh well no we're not going to do it it's up to you at that point say thanks and put the phone down um, so um, what else is on at that venue and whether people trust it so that's another reason people go to a show is because they like that the venue some people will go to every show that's on in a particular little venue it's like um, the Soho Theatre and the Leicester Square Theatre yeah perfect massive, yeah. Yeah. that's it yeah mm. Soho Theatre yeah brilliant that's exactly the, the same sort of thing so um, so th- those are important so then brochure or mailing list I did um, one at um, a music venue in Cambridge that was a really successful music venue and I know that they've got I I can't remember the name of it but it's a big pub that's on like a roundabout it's the most unpromising venue I think it's the one I've just emailed yeah right yeah sorry right yeah interesting and it it, it seats I think it's seated about 90 yeah it's in the back of it yeah they've reconverted it yeah yeah I literally did a gig there and I said to them I want to come back oh right yeah yeah that's right because they have a comedy night yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'd forgotten that I forgot what it's called yeah. Anyway, but yeah, yeah. It's, it's a really nice and um, I, it was interesting. Like, but again, they sold it out in no time because the people they've got a big following mm. at that venue. The problem I had at that one uh, and the, another music venue I played is that a lot of them came to that venue, obviously up, regularly come, and they were so blasé about getting in for the start of the show. I couldn't get them in, and the because they didn't really have front of house like they have in a theatre. So I ended up trying to shepherd people in, and while I'm shepherding people in, people are escaping mm. <laughs> to the bar. Yeah. Some people are still ordering food, and uh, it was a nightmare. The show started almost an hour late, by which time people who were there on time were getting rested. It was really yeah. tricky. So watch out for that. If you do it, maybe get some people down to you know spell it out to the venue what that you wanted yeah. to start. People's got to start on time. But um, apart from that, really nice. But yeah, so they had a great mailing list. Um, the the big theatres are great because if they've as long as it's not council run and as long as they're only running one theatre and they can focus on that one theatre. Um, if they get if you get in the brochure, you know that goes out to loads of people. And again, just the fact you're in it validates your show. Mm. So, so mainly, I, I got them to do the marketing. The only thing that I really did was um, Facebook ads. So you're more of a social media guru than me, and so it'd be interesting to see what you think about this. Because the Facebook ads seem to really work on the first tour. The second tour, not so much, and I'm not quite sure why. What do you mean by worked? Well, <laughs> so um, I got... Um, 
so I did a different campaign for each venue. Mm-hmm. And the great thing is you can really target it. Yeah. So I could target it people who lived within a certain radius of the venue um, who were interested in meditation or Buddhism or various other things, kindness or compassion or various other things, yoga, you know, mm. basically thinking about my demographic, about who, who li- who's liked the show before. And I realised that most people who like the show are people lefty liberals um, who've kind of a bit of a spiritual bent to them um, who are sort of between the, basically people like me yeah, yeah. <laughs> people you know over 30 um between 30 and 55 you know that, and that that's kind of um that's my group so i targeted those ads at those people and then it's good because you can measure the impact of it so you can see how many people saw the ad how many of those people clicked through and then on your ticket sales you can see how many of the, you know whether the, it, it's had a bearing on mm. the ticket sales and it seemed to really work well and you can work out well is this worth it how much is it costing me per mm. ticket sold and that, that seemed to work really well um, and also people liked um, I had a page for the show which I've still got and people would like that as well when they um, when they um, click through on the Facebook ad so that enabled me to put more messages out to them and remind them and that was all I did, and it seemed to work pretty well. How long ago was this tour? So this was uh, twenty fourteen. Okay, uh, I can answer the question if you want me to. Right, yeah. This is now me being interviewed. Um, pages have changed quite a lot. Right, that's the first thing you should be aware of. Um, the shortest answer to this is uh, Facebook went public. Right. I think it was at the end of 2014 or the start of 2015, yeah. which meant that they need to make more money for the shareholders. And the way they decided to do that was adverts, but also... Uh, but, but Okay, so they wanted to change the model for advertising. So instead of it just being the sidebar things that mm. not everyone really mm. looks at, if we're honest, yeah. um, they started charging brands to push their messages out more yeah. via pages. So it means that your reach on your page will have dropped massively right, organically. Right, okay. So you have to pay yeah. for your post to go out yeah, to even yeah. the people that have liked the page. Yeah. Which means that um, your adverts are going to cost more in the sidebar because they're not as like useful for anyone. Mm. But also, yeah, that needs to be fair. And uh, the fact that your posts are being seen by less people means yeah. that less people who even like your work or know what your work is yeah. won't see what you're talking about unless yeah. you post it more. And if you post it too many times, someone that sees it a lot might unlike and then you've lost mm. someone else. So in many ways, Facebook is shooting themselves in the foot. Um, to try and make a very short-term amount of profit, right? And yeah. and it's only because they haven't thought through mm. how to monetize the site. Yeah, um, it makes sense on paper to charge brands to advertise because brands have always been the ones you have, you know, the pay for adverts. You know, like they buy a, a poster on the underground or whatever because twenty thousand people walk past it. Yeah, the same kind of model. You know, you can target it to twenty thousand people, mm. and mm. and they'll mm. charge you for it. However, for individuals like you and me, it doesn't work out on bulk because right. adverts are about awareness, not about sales. Yeah, that's it. So as a result, you know, when you see, it's like when you see um, uh, someone sharing a sunglasses image, like they've been, you know, tagged in a thing mm. from someone they shouldn't have added, right? No one's bought sunglasses ever from Facebook. Yeah, yeah. Not one person yeah. alive has ever done that. Yeah. I guarantee you, right? Mm. And if they have, they're mad, yeah. right? It doesn't. It's not somewhere you go for it. No, absolutely. But they still happen because people want 
the site to, they want the click through just so that the site is aware or it's in your history so that when you start typing in sunglasses it filters it or whatever it's, mm. a, it's a much bigger thing than right, that right. so that's why it probably isn't as effective mm. anymore interesting oh well that, that's, that sorts that one out <laughs> so uh, yeah so it's interesting so I mean I've got other sort of thoughts I mean my it's the reason why I have a group instead of a page right I, I keep encouraging people to make groups right. instead of pages. I'm write that down. Because, well, well, here's the thing. So, when you post on a page, up to 10% of your likes will organically get to see it. Yeah. So, if you have 1,000 people on a page, 100 people will see it, roughly, mm. right, at most. And then you have to pay for more people to see it. In a group, everyone gets an alert, unless they've specifically opted out. Yeah. And very rarely do you opt out, because the group is about a community of people yeah, that share yeah. an interest, whereas a page is a one-way dialogue. Yeah, that's true. So, for me, I want this podcast, for example, to have a community around it, yeah. so we can all share information and, and try and yeah. evolve together and, and have a group of people that actually want to work on the better of this industry. Yeah, yeah. I know a lot of podcasts that have pages, and it works for them, and it's fine, but it's because they just want to syndicate the episode out right and get you know just yeah. get the downloads and stuff and that's fine I'm not, I mean I'm judging it from the outside but or maybe they just got a page because they didn't know groups are more useful in that yeah, way yeah. Um, for me I know that for example immediately when I put a podcast out I have about 800 members in my group now and I get about 400 downloads direct mm. from that wow because it, because it comes through oh well, good that, that, so, that's, that's helpful yeah. I mean I, I think one I've got a couple of things that I'm really sort of starting to... Well, I'm going to be ramping up, really. So one of them is about social media. I need to do a lot more on it. And, uh, yeah, I haven't really pushed it as well as I should have. Um, The other thing that I'm doing a lot of is um, speaking. Um, And uh, I mean speaking at events. Because I found, yeah, I found that just doing the silent shows, (laughs) just to not take it off, I don't know what it is. You know, apart from uh, I'd the, be better when I'm quiet. Yeah, tape, <laughs> tape face maybe yeah, an yeah, exception. Yeah. But um, so I've got fifty locations that I'm I want to develop for tour locations. Okay. And I go around the country and I speak at all sorts of events on subjects related to my shows, things I'm interested in in my shows. Mm. And basically, I do lots of bits out of my show. And because it's not comedy, it's often bored business people. They're absolutely delighted. So um, I'm doing more and more of that. I I do stuff like that for money as well, which is nice. So that's basically how I stay alive is the corporate work. But I'm doing more and more of these little things for free because to to groups who I realise are my, um, my audience. So... If I would say I was doing the circuit, I would be on to a bunch of people who've just turned up to see some comedy, they're a bit drunk, you're one of a number of acts, probably not the best one, <laughs> and, uh, and they go away and they might say, oh, that bloke was good, but they've no idea who you are. But, so, but if you know who your audience is, you can find other ways to get in front of those audiences. Um, that's a really good way to build a following and that's really what I'm working on at the moment I'm getting around doing these little speeches and talks and getting involved and it's that that community thing it's about tapping into these communities who are going to be interested in your sort of material yeah I mean the internet has made it a lot easier to build a community uh, because you don't have to be restricted geographically Um, you know take my podcast for example just because we're on Mm. that 
you know, I've got a lot of people in Japan who are comedians who listen to it. Mm. Uh, a bunch of people in in uh, Germany and a few people now. Like it's getting pushed yeah. around America. Yeah. It started yeah. uh, it started in New York and in LA, and now some people in Oregon. I got an email from someone in Oregon the other day who was like, "Love it." I've been, you know, like I, I, I'm learning so much. Yeah. I didn't realize that this podcast even existed and stuff, which is great because you know, love it when email me. I love it when people email me. Um, but but also it's it feels good that you know it's not as big a world yeah, as you think yeah, it is and yeah, we're all absolutely. in this together yeah. and, and I think that attitude is yeah. slightly lost on the circuit sometimes you know what I mean yeah, it's yeah. that whole you did really well fuck I've got to go on now you know what yeah, I mean? yeah sort of, I know and, and, I know. and it's sort of like it doesn't have to be like that we, no, could, we could all have a good gig yeah you know what that's I mean? it I know yeah. I know it's all those little insecurities isn't it yeah. so yeah I think the community thing is it but, but I mean I think in terms of I most of the success that I have had uh, you know, even though I mean, I should say I'm playing small rooms like 100, 100 to 150 generally, uh, but um, they're mainly sold out because uh, of the venue and their marketing team and their brochure. So I think that's the most important thing, and the reputation of the venue. You, but I mean, you, you can say uh, uh, the only reason I've had success is because the venue has done a lot yeah. of the work and, and, and that is great cause it so is the skill is in choosing the venue that, yeah. that's what I'm saying really yeah and it is a, yeah. but it is a team effort and yeah. I understand that as much as I'd love to sit here and go well my shows are selling out really well yeah. I know that the you know venues are putting in a lot of effort I'm yeah. putting in a lot of effort because it works yeah, both it ways and it's what you give them to work with again yes. if you give them you know well I'm Sam Brady and this is my Sam Brady's comedy show they're not going to be able to sell that you yeah know? And I mean, what other red flags have you come across in terms of venues? Like when you're talking to them, obviously disorganised. Yeah. But so um, yeah, so things like them not returning calls or not doing what they say they're going to do, and um, you know, we all get a little bit of that with promoters and things like that, and everyone's busy. But I think if you're relying on this venue to sell your show, and you could lose me, you know basically you've got to expect them to be professional and more efficient than, than you are, that's my rule mm-hmm. got to be more, more organised than, organized than I am um, other things are having a checklist of things to ask them so a lot of it is the standard stuff that you would ask if, so if a pub wanted to put on a comedy night you know, will the bar be closed is it a separate room You know, um, is there, you know what's the seating arrangements and stuff like that so even in a theatre you have to ask these things mm-hmm. um, just to make sure um, you need to ask them what marketing they'll be doing and expect a comprehensive answer you need to ask them what is included so if they start wanting to charge you for using a projector or a screen or to have someone at front of house or you know it's all those things mm-hmm. and then here's one so here's a killer a killer tip right so this is um, I think this is a really good one uh, hard earned a lot of theatres now have systems where you can choose your with allocated seating so you can choose your seat really bad idea for us um, what happens is that A um, people will come in and choose seats right at the back um, so unless you sell out you can end up with people scattered all over the place and sitting at the back miles from you um, the other thing is that if you're unknown, people go on and they see, oh, th- there's only two people have bought tickets. Uh, maybe this is going to be shit. So they hold off and everyone holds off. And 
I didn't have this problem at all the first year because none of the venues had allocated. Now they've brought these systems in. Um, I had two venues that had difficulty selling this year and both of them had allocated seating. And I could see because you go on, you go to buy a ticket and you can see that oh, there's nobody going. Um, so what, what I would say is, first of all, ask do you have is it allocated seating can they choose their seats can they see how many seats have gone if they say yeah ask can you switch that off so they don't have it for this thing if if they say no we can't switch it off and you really really want to do that venue what what you can do is ask them to only release the tickets in blocks so that's that's what we did and it, it worked out really well so we got them to um, at this one particular venue they just released like the first few rows first so when people went on it looked like it was pretty much sold out but there was mm. some space at the front and then mm. when those went they released the next block and that worked out okay, okay. Um, but it's definitely an important question to ask them about the allocated seating because it can really stuff you actually yeah I can imagine um, I had a friend of mine do a, do a gig a while ago uh, which was in a theatre and he took a photo from the side of the stage and was like, this is going to be really awkward. Yeah. It was literally because the yeah. back rows had all sold. The, the what's it called, the first fl- circle thing yeah. had got like yeah. the odd people and then yeah. you had just twos and threes all over the place. Yeah. And he said it was awesome. he said it was fine, but it was just n- yeah. really awkward for him. Really difficult, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that's a, that, that is a good tip. No, really. that's a good tip. Um, and... What are good things to look out for in venues? So, like when you're trying to, so when you're assessing a venue, mm. say you've got a short list of five venues in a city. Yeah. How do you personally sort of obviously if they've all all things equal, so you yeah, know, they, they don't like same one has price and all of that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um. So, one of the key things for me is how enthusiastic are they about having your show? Um, do you send them a bit recording of the show? Or? No, I mean. I haven't done that. Um, you, I mean, you could do that. I think at the time, I don't know if I had a decent recording of it. <laughs> but, um, no, and sometimes you can tell, like, the person... So, the per, if the person you're dealing with, it's, they're usually a quite small team, even in a big theatre. They're the person who's going to have to sell the show. And sometimes they will really chime into, like, oh, I get it. Mm. You know, like, they're the kind of person who, if they didn't work there, would buy a ticket and come right. and they're excited like oh this is great and because they're excited about it they'll sell it more and they know exactly how to sell it and some, sometimes people are like oh yeah great yeah you're in this date yeah why have you phoned me again mm-hmm. Once there's nothing to discuss you know so so I look for the enthusiasm of the person also um, and I got this tip uh, from a, a programmer in a theatre um, ask who is going to be doing the marketing and try and get a relationship with that person. Don't be dealing through with through a third person. Speak, get a direct relationship. So their enthusiasm. Um, then the other things. It's about um, what other shows are on. Are, are, have they got other stuff on that's like what you do? If you can, phone up the acts and ask them what they know about the venue. Um, and then the other stuff is all just the same old stuff that you get in a comedy club about is it a nice low ceiling is it got you know um, uh, you know the usual stuff that makes a good room for comedy really yeah okay okay and what was the hardest part when you first did your first tour about sourcing venues um, the the hardest part was 
and well, it was all, it was all hard to be honest at first. <laughs> but the thing is, like, if you if you right, if you go to uh, a tour management company, what they will do is something like this, right? They've got a big database full of all the venues um, with notes against each one and different criteria against them from experience. Um, they get your show, they'll run a filter on their list to filter the ones that they think are the right size and the right sort of thing. They they hit a button and email your your blurb through automatically to all these these theatres and the theatres see that it's come from oh, you know, um you know, that this particular tour management company, oh we know them, we've dealt with them before. Yeah, let's have a look. Mm. Uh oh yeah, okay, yeah, we'll we'll take this show. So all they do is they bang that out and then they wait and see um, what comes back at them in terms of, yeah, we're interested. And then they go through and negotiate dates. Mm. And that's basically what they do. The only difference is you don't have that big database when you start mm. out. But as you do this more and more, you build those relationships and you get those venues. Now, if you were going through a management company, you never get those relationships. Mm. So um, it was really hard at first, finding the theatres, finding out who does hires, who's got a suitable room, talking to them, vetting them, seeing out who's, you know, who's keen, um, pricing and all of that. It takes a long time. And then the next difficult thing is trying to get them on the right dates and negotiating with them and then having to phone up and say, actually, can I move you? Because I've got this other venue and they can only do this date. You know, and there's a lot of to and fro and a lot of waiting for people to get back to you. And so it's all quite a ball like and it takes months mm. um you know because presumably you've got other things to do as well yeah uh, you know um but i think once you've done it once it gets easier mm. and the other great thing is um that once you've like so i did 20 venues my first tour because i'm an idiot but don't say it, i've just got 24 in have you <laughs> <laughs> excellent even bigger idiot than me didn't I do? Yeah, didn't I tell you that would be okay? Yeah, uh, you uh, yeah. Did, but no, it'll be fine. It'll no, be fine. but you don't. But you don't have to do that. And um, don't tell me that now. No, <laughs> but it's great though. I mean, I would do twenty. I would do forty, fifty if I could. You know, it's just uh, touring is uh, just something I've forgotten to say. Touring is absolutely amazing. Yeah, it's no. such great fun to go to different places and like do your show, and everyone's come just to see you. Even you know, no matter how many there are, mm. it's amazing. So yeah, well worth it. More the better. But you don't have to do that if you don't want to take such a big financial risk, or you haven't got that much money to put into it, or you know. Um, or time you know if you just put together a string of three or four shows and then keep doing it you can carry on doing your show this is another rule that oh you have to do a new show every year you know that I, where this comes from you know there are enough theatres and venues in the country you could do your little show for the rest of your life you know um, I don't mean your little show just personally <laughs> I mean like one's little show yeah, no, ahead, yeah, yeah I don't need <laughs> to run it down at all right at the end of the point yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so you know just start small but, but building those relationships up is, is good and yeah um, so yeah there was another point but we'll probably come on to it in a second there's two questions that have just come out of that um, one have you found certain days of the week are better mm-hmm. and worse and I'm sure it will vary from city yeah. to city and secondly I think the most important thing I learned with mine is how far ahead certain venues book. Yeah. Um, because I think a lot of people sort of get off the back of Edinburgh yeah, yeah. and then go, oh, I should really take yeah. it around the place. Yeah. 
and you look at I mean you know I, I don't know it for sure but I know Soho have pretty much yeah, booked up I mean, places like Soho yeah, they, yeah. they're booked up really early yeah. Yeah. so how far ahead did you get so when you uh, started booking it to when you went on it how, I think how far for you was it it was about six months before and I think that's like the minimum you can do it mm. I think six to nine months uh, if you're hiring if mm. you're going on a box office split nine to twelve to possibly more Mm. Um, yeah, it takes it takes it. You have to book in quite a long time in advance. And you said that most of the places were selling like they think it sold in the last two weeks before the show. Most of them, yeah, there were one or two sold really quickly because they I don't they were brilliant venues with a brilliant brochure, but most of them sold in the, you know the last ten days, which is absolutely yeah nerve wracking. <laughs> Six months of anxiety. Yeah. Great, uh, that's, yeah. that's what everyone wants to hear. I know. Um, okay, well, these are the final uh, quick fire questions. Okay. Um, I do them quickly, you can take as long as you want. Yeah, yeah. Um, although I will tell you now, it is just under 10 past. So, um, right. When you need to yeah, leave. yeah, I'll, I'll need to go soon. Okay. Um, what do you think is the biggest uh, problem in the touring section of the comedy industry, and how would you go about solving it? Um, so, what, okay. Um, I think that. I think maybe the biggest problem with the touring part of the industry is down to um, people being told they need permission to do stuff. It's like it's like this in everything. And this is the bee in my bonnet, and I'm like this with everything, um, whether it's publishing a book or doing a tour or whatever. Um, there, you know, in every industry, there are a lot of middlemen who've got an interest in you not not doing things they've got to protect you know agents and managers have got to protect their acts um, and keep certain territory available for them and part of that is useful because it's a quality marker but often often it isn't um, so I, I think yeah so I think it's the, the the biggest problem is people being told you can't do this, you have to get an agent, you have to get a management company, you have to do this. And, and that's what puts people off. Whereas if we had a much more enabling attitude or, um, where we all get together and say, well, actually, we can do this and this has been my experience, this is what I've done, um, we can build, um, well, like a really sort of, like in music, there's a really sort of uh, good sort of indie scene of bands who build followings, do their own stuff, do their own shows, and they do perfectly well. There'll still always be the superstars and the different levels and the people who are playing bigger venues, but there's no reason that there can't be this um, touring circuit of small studio venues of people doing different stuff. Mm. Um, and that, that, and that's, that's the other thing, is that if we're not careful everything turns out very samey and we need people to be able to believe that they can do the stuff that they want to do that's different and interesting and find their audience what we don't need is a whole load of people who believe that in order to succeed they have to do the same as what everyone else is doing because that that Mm. doesn't help anyone so that's what I I would say it's we have to encourage everyone to, to have a go and believe and back yourself and believe in your material do you, I mean, because there's that cliche of comedians being lazy or, mm. or unorganised or just not, or admin adverse, as it were. I mean, do you think that's like, I mean, do you think that's a comedian problem or do you think that's a sort of promoter industry I think problem? it's a human problem. Oh, okay, fine. <laughs> yeah, I do. I mean, it's like often if you, 
I've had this conversation a few times with with people, agents and managers and stuff. And um, I ought to say as well that I do have some really good relationships with lots of agents and managers. <laughs> I'm not. So, I, I, but um, so, uh, what was the question? The question was, well, no, because you, you said that it's, we should all back ourselves, we should all yeah, try yeah. And, and believe in ourselves more. But I, but I think, I think to a certain degree this is true. But I think it's a cliche and it's not 100 percent true for everyone. Oh right, about the lazy thing and all that. That was it. Yeah, yeah. So So, I was trying to work out whether it's, or in your opinion, whether it's a comedian problem. In other words, we're just not work shy, but we can't bother with the admin of that, and we want someone to do it for us. And then comes in the problem that there's gatekeepers. Or do you think it's we don't want to go for the gatekeepers because they're only going to say no anyway, or they or they have enough work, so why would they want mine? Yeah. So I'm wondering if it's a comedian problem or a gatekeeper. No, I think. well I think I, well so I think it's a, hu- a human problem and um the reason is that we all everyone experiences doubt and feels like a fraud everyone does if you don't sometimes feel like a fraud you're probably a psychopath you know we all feel like that and even the most successful comedians feel like frauds a lot of the time so if there's somebody telling us that we can't do stuff we're probably going to bottle out a lot of the time the other thing is like a lot of comedians work really hard and are pretty organized and you know that this is one of the things i was going to say um I've heard, I've had conversations with agents and managers where they'll talk about someone who's on TV and doing really well and making a lot of money and touring big theatres and things. And they'll say, yeah, but oh, but they've worked so hard. And you think, yeah, but does that mean that everyone else hasn't worked hard? Mm. I know some people who've worked hard in this industry for 10, 15, 20 years and they're still doing pretty much the same gigs that they were doing. And, you know... Bloody hell, well, they're not working in a, an office or doing a crappy job. They've still got the best job in the world. Mm. But to say, you know, they work really hard. Mm. Um, so, you know, I, I, I don't think I don't think it's about that. I think, I think it is just this thing that, you know, probably some years ago it was impossible to do these sort of indie tours and, and you know, um, without being on TV and radio. But it's not impossible anymore. Um, you just need to believe and, and get out and, and do it, and you know you have to. What you do has to be good, mm. or enough people have to like it. That's that's more more what it is. Um, like the thing with my shows is they're not they're not prob- they're not the funniest show. It's not it's not the funniest show in the world. Um, it's not the anythingish show in the world apart from that. It's the most my show <laughs> yeah. in the world. And um, some people absolutely love it. Some people absolutely hate it, and that's fine. They don't. They don't have to come anymore. Mm. But some people absolutely love it because they like me and they really chime into the story and my view of the world. So the only thing you have to be the best at is putting yourself across and getting mm. people to see you, mm. and you'll find your audience. You know that's that's my belief. Um, I should also say, just as a quick thing, and you can tag this in somewhere. So I, I have worked with management companies. So um, I worked with Lake uh, McCarthy at Edinburgh last year because um, they came to see the show at the previous Edinburgh and they booked me in through the stand to do the assembly rooms. Beautiful venue. First time I've played above street level in Edinburgh. <laughs> Such a luxury. Yeah. But, you know, suddenly I've got chandeliers, you know. Really lovely venue, lovely to be looked after, to have a street team and all of that stuff and not be doing the free fringy stuff and 
really enjoyed it and they did a, a great job you know so it's not like I'm against that stuff um, I just don't have enough time in my life to wait around for them yeah. um, and you know there's every chance that um, perhaps the next tour I'll do with them and they'll book it for me mm. um, but I might not now and I've actually got the choice because I've now got 30 venues that you know and I would redo 25 of them so I've got 25 venues that I already know will book me um, I've just been booked by the Lowry on um, a box office split to do a work in progress show in their studio on the basis that I've proven myself by doing my own tours and they know that well you know basically if I'm willing to do that and put myself out there I'm professional enough they can trust me and work with me so that that relationship's come out of that because of that I'm now getting taken more seriously by other theatres who also are interested in programming me on a box office split Plus, I've got references from 25 theatres who all say, yeah, it's so show, show sold out, it was good. Mm. Um, all of that goes a long way. So where I started out a couple of years ago, not being able to get programmed and having to hire, I now can start getting things that I wouldn't have otherwise got unless I'd been on TV or had an agent. So it gives me a lot more options, you know, and it makes it a lot easier for me to go to a, to a manager and say, well... Yeah, I'd like you to do this, but I could do it myself. What can you yeah. offer me, you know? So um, I'm not saying don't ever go mainstream. I don't ever... I'm just saying you don't have to wait for it. Um, you, There are ways of proving yourself and building your following that can get you there without you just having to wait around for your lucky break. That was Sam. As someone who's just spent, like, sort of the last two months putting together his own tour on his own with again the roughly the same place he was you know no profile no backing no management all that stuff uh, it was just really fun to talk to someone who's done it been there done well and and it's really given me a boost to uh, not only like promote my stuff more and better but to you know believe that it it's going to go well uh, you know we all have that anxiety feeling that creeps in as soon as we've done something big or or scary or that was new to us and it's kind of just alleviated a lot of that and it's kind of just made me think, well, you know what, it, it might go wrong, but at least I've tried, at least I've done it. And I think that's a much better and much more healthy attitude towards touring. I hope you got a lot out of that. And I hope if you are considering putting together a tour, do it. Like, do try. If you think you've got a show and you think you've got a show that's good enough to tour, don't wait for someone's permission. If you can't, if you can't find someone to back you, back yourself. Seriously, that's the best way of doing it. If you have any questions, follow up. Uh, you can find all of Sam's details in uh, the show notes or the pod notes. And also, if you join the Ask the Industry podcast group on Facebook, which is called Ask the Industry Podcast, and it's on Facebook, obviously, you can ask questions to all other performers and comedians. And if we have the answers, if I have the answer, if you need a question about touring, come ask me. I'll, I'm glad to share the information. I spent hours on these. I don't know why you think I wouldn't answer a Facebook post. So, yeah, we're, we're all in this together, and it's, and it's great to share information. So please... Please join the Facebook group and you can also ask future guest questions in there as well. Very quickly, if you live in Brighton, Hastings, Kent, Loughborough, Derby or Norwich, 
those are the places my tour are coming to next so if you can come down and look and watch my show called buddhism and cats if you've already seen it you don't necessarily have to come see it again unless you'd like to in which case i love you thank you very much for coming but if you'd like to come uh, that'd be great the link is in the show notes for all the tickets and uh, all the details of venues and stuff it's also on my website which is simonkane.co.uk if you can't make any of those dates i'm coming to other places it's just i'm only going to plug the ones that are directly ahead of me if that makes sense um if you can't come to the show or you don't want to come and see me that's fine you can always uh, support the podcast by donating on paypal via my website which is called simonkane.co.uk that's s-i-m-o-n-c-a-i-n-e.co.uk if you want to become a regular donator and you want to become a patron of the pod first of all thank you so much for doing that it's it's invaluably helpful and it really gives me sort of a budget and support and future help for the show so that i know that it can carry on and be hopefully on its way to becoming sustainable you can sponsor the show from one dollar which is 80p so if you would like to do that and you think that it's if you think you think what you've just heard is worth 80p right please donate please do consider becoming a patron. You can also cap it. Uh, a few people have been asking me about that. So if you can only afford $2 a month, you can cap it at that. I produce three pods a month, so you don't have to, like, it, it's not going to break the balance. And the site is very good at capping your money so that you don't overspend or go into debt or anything. I don't want anyone else going into debt for this project other than me. One last thing. A few months ago, uh, my book, How to Make a Living by Working for Three, came out and I was sorting and I'm currently sorting it out with Amazon to get it formatted and I've had a few people inquire and buy copies post the crowdfunding you can still do that if you would like a copy contact me somehow you can get me on Twitter at this made me cool just DM me or you can find me on Facebook it's called I'm called Simon Kane on there I haven't changed my name or anything or you can email me which is simon s-i-m-o-n dot m for mother dot c-a-i-n-e at gmail.com just send me a message however you like with whatever version you'd like i'm gonna have digitals and paperbacks and you can buy one uh, i'm more than happy to buy it and ship it to you outside of the kickstarter and that'd be great i would i would love to get to you know just like 100 books sold that'd be amazing so if you would like to contribute to that feel free the book is all about how to build an audience using free content online but it also has an entire chapter on why you should pick yourself on why you should not wait around to be discovered and and why actually picking yourself increases the chances of you being discovered and the psychology behind that and also the reasoning behind that from a business point of view so if that sounds interesting to you you can buy it so it's uh, five pound for a digital download or 11 pound for a paperback or 13 pound for a signed paperback so if you'd like a copy of that please do just email me and i will sort something out for you that's great thank you very much for listening thank you very much for donating Thank you very much for all the support. Genuinely, it means the world. And I will see you all in about 10 days' time. Bye! Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.